and welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. A disappointing day on Derby Day for Blackburn Rovers as they fell to a 2-1 defeat to Preston North End. We'll be picking all the bones out of that game because alongside me as always is Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? Good, thank you, Elliot. It was uh, a strange weekend, wasn't it, with the football on Friday. It felt like an actual weekend without football and things, so um, was able to apply some suitable therapy over Saturday and Sunday to get over the disappointment of Friday night, of course. But uh, I'm doing good and we're obviously recording a little bit later. So we're at the the midpoint of the working week, aren't we? So uh, we're nearly there. Hump day, as I think they would refer it to. I think, yeah, that's it. That's what the kids say. I wouldn't know. I'll ask my (laughs) my 10-month-old daughter, but I think the response I'll get is just, yeah, 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 because that's all we seem to get out of at the moment. (laughs) Um, we will go over the Preston game, of course, and I think we'll look back and reflect because it seems like a good point to do so after 16 games, reflect on where Rovers are in the season and, and what we can maybe hope for with this next chunk of games that are coming because there's not an international break after this one until mid-March, which means we've got plenty of club football, which is great, especially for me, because then I don't have to try and find things for the paper for two weeks, which is a pain in the ass. So, Rovers, obviously losing 2-1 on Friday night, which does feel like a while ago now. Had to rejig the defence, of course, with Harry Pickering now injured with a quadricep problem. Um, so, that did mean Lewis Travis at right back. A little bit of a pre-match concern, how he would do out of position against Liam Miller, um, who's who's been quite lively for Preston this season. But I thought he did really well in that right-back role. He added energy and, you know, I thought he defended really well one-on-one against Miller. And Rovers started quite well, I thought, and obviously created the big chance in the game where Dolan does really well after drifting out wide, clips in a cross and Sigurdsson hits the crossbar. It's another one of those moments where we're looking back at the end of the game thinking if that had gone in, that would have been a big help and that would have obviously been a defining moment in the match for Rovers. Unfortunately, of course, in typical Rovers fashion, it comes off the crossbar and is cleared. And then just a few minutes later, um, Preston go up the other end and score. Brilliant ball over the top from Brad Potts. It's, it's quite a straight run from Alan Brown through the defence. I think that's probably the disappointment. It's not exactly like he's weaved in and out with great movement. He's just sort of running a straight line. Um, I've seen some people criticising Travis, saying he's out of position. What I would say is Travis can't be in two places at once. So if Rovers have turned the ball over pretty quickly and he's in midfield, which is obviously what the fullbacks do in this system, he can't then be there. So you've got Adam Wharton that's in close proximity. You've got... James Hill, obviously, on that side. I think there's enough cover around for someone to take control and take charge of that situation. So I'm not pinning that on Lewis Travis. I'm pinning that on the right side of the defence not being organised. However, we have to say, once he's in, it's a phenomenal touch and a really, really good finish into the roof of the net past um, Leopold Wallstead. And I thought Rose were quite unlucky to be behind, but... That's where you you sort of, when you concede a soft goal, you, you're hoping that you get a bit of reaction because we didn't see the reaction against Swansea, for example, when they went behind. No, I think overriding feelings on the game, Elliot, is if we take the the emotion of a local derby out of it and, you know, the Preston filling the Darwin end and all of that out of it, it was a classic championship game, wasn't it? Two very evenly matched sides, albeit that play different styles, um, but a game of fine margins also. And I think we're going to apply that to a lot of championship games this season. It is the championship that we know and love. And as we know with this Rover side, getting that first goal is really important to us quite a lot. Um, I know we've had a couple of comeback victories this season, but invariably we do need to go ahead in games. And and that Sigurdsson chance is the one, because you're absolutely right. I, uh, 
I did think we started the game really well. Um, quite similar to the Swansea game. I don't think it was as as intense and free-flowing maybe as Swansea where I'm sat there thinking, oh my God, we're going to blitz these today. But I thought for a home side in a local derby, trying to quieten the away crowd that are in that Darwin end, I thought we actually imposed ourselves pretty well and, and dominated the ball and dominated possession. But look, Preston are up there for a reason. Ryan Lowe has got this side set up really, really, really well. Um, and he clearly saw that that right-hand side was going to be an area that they could exploit because whether we like it or not, Lewis Travis is at right back. And you're absolutely right. I'm not criticising him for the goal. But if you just look at the Alan Brown run, it's really intelligent. He's hanging out on that left-hand side. He knows where the space is. And Brad Potts as well has actually got to find him. It's a superb pass from him. And the touch from Alan Brown as well to take it into his stride. It was, unfortunately for Rovers, a goal that oozed quality. And and as you say, the finish as well was was a really rasping one. I saw a little bit of criticism for Walshtet on that goal. Yeah, I'm not having I'm, that personally. I think me it's a neither. brilliant strike. The pace he hits it at as well. Yeah, so I'm not having that either. It's a wonderful strike. And, you know, they're quite awkward at that near post position. So if it has got that kind of power going, um, then it is going to fly past the keeper. So it was disappointing. Um, but I think, to be honest, it, it's kind of the way that the game was. I, I got the feeling that Ryan Lowe at times through that game was biding his time, was waiting for those moments. And we'll talk about the second half substitutions, I'm sure, soon. It did just feel like Ryan Lowe was was fairly in control of what he needed to do to to hurt Rovers. And, you know, obviously they've got to ride their luck a bit as well. I'm not saying this is all how great Preston were. We could have gone 1-0 up with that Arna Sigurdsson chance, for example. So they've got to have a bit of luck and they've got to soak the pressure up. But, you know, it was a bit of a sucker punch goal at the time and one that, that really hit me in the belly when it happened. Yeah, I think watching that first half, the thing that stood out to me is the fact that Rovers... I just thought they, they looked a little bit samey in attack. I thought they had too many similar players because when you're playing uh, Moore and Smodix, Sigurdsson and Dolan, you've got quite a lot of number 10 types there. And it seemed to me in particular in that first half where everyone wanted the ball to feet and you got opportunities where people got it out wide. There was no one in the box because everyone was coming towards the ball. And that meant Preston could really constrict the space in front of the back three. Um, and having three centre-backs in, you sort of work the ball out wide you can't throw a cross in the box to Tyree Stolen to try and head in against three centre-backs, can you? So I thought that was a real issue. Um, and I spoke to Jon after the game about that, and he agreed. And he thought what was different in the second half is suddenly they started making more runs in behind. And you saw that was a perfect example with the goal they scored because it's that penetrative run from Smodix in behind. Lovely ball from Moran over the top. And he's through on goal. And they weren't making those direct runs in the first half. They, they also changed things tactically a little bit and went... They did this at Norwich and they went a bit more 4-4-2 off the ball with Smodix pressing higher. Um, they did it against Chelsea as well. So basically whoever's playing that sort of left number eight role, which is generally Smodix, pushing right up alongside Dolan. It meant they got two players to press and it also meant they got more players in and around for quick exchanges if they turn the ball over because naturally Preston are going to have an extra man playing a back three. So that was sort of the pitfalls of playing a false nine against particularly a three-man defence. And if Preston know... The ball's going to get worked out wide, but they can't cross it in. They can just basically lead the flanks and can just constrict that middle area, which is exactly what Rovers didn't want to happen because they'd not got the, they got four number tens on the pitch really. So I thought that was telling that you know a couple of minutes into the second half, and Jon said that they spoke about this at half time. Smodic's great running behind one on one, and it's a brilliant finish for one all. 
Oh, fantastic finish. And um, he actually took a bit of a dodgy touch in there on one of them. I think he like kind of chests it a bit. And then it's that left foot kind of shin, knee, whatever it was. And I thought, oh, God, he's going to miss this chance. But he did really well. I think Woodman made it a bit easy for him. I think the way that Woodman came out, had he stayed on his line, maybe Smodic has got a harder finish there. But I think it was a brilliant finish from Smodic. You need to be ice cold in those situations, you know, fresh from half time where you're kind of not in the heat of the game until 5, 10, 15 minutes down the line. I thought it's the Sammy Smodic that we've grown to love this season. Just whoever you want in this Rover squad finishing the ball in, in circumstances like that, it's Sammy Smodic, isn't it? So great from Rovers. I noticed that little tweak as well. I think at times it was actually 4 2 4 as well. It oh, was yeah, basically. Yeah, really aggressive, really pressing them. And, and do you know what? Fair play to Yondal Thomason because we could have been flat at halftime because we had the Morin chance before halftime as well, which was a wonderful, a wonderful move and rattled off the crossbar. Sometimes you can just think, oh, is this going to be our day? Because that Sigurdsson chance was unlucky. The Morin one was even more unlucky because it's a great hit. So to come out and respond so positively and to get that early goal and crucially get the crowd back on side going into that Blackburn end it was fantastic and I think for the for the next 10-15 minutes after that we were looking pretty strong pretty decent and obviously that forced Preston into the response didn't it yeah you're absolutely right I forgot to mention the the Morin chance that obviously hits the bar and again that came from if you look at it it's Dolan again making a bit of a running behind and then obviously gets switched out to him nodded back and Morin strikes it and it hits the bar that would have been a fantastic goal if that had gone in so unlucky and as you say Rovers were then on top and they've got the game by the scruff of the neck and for the next 15 20 minutes it was all one way traffic Smodic goes through again it tries to give Freddie Woodman the eyes and uh, it's a good save by the Preston goalkeeper on that occasion and you're looking at it and you think and I think I even tweeted that the Preston had not strung two passes together in this second half they've not had a kick and for me, the big turning point in the game was when Ched Evans came on. And not in the sort of way that you'd expect in the fact, I don't think he bullied Rovers centre-backs or anything like that, which we have seen Blackburn as a club, as a team, struggle against those sort of moulds of strikers. Obviously, Evans had a field day in this fixture last season at Ewood. You also think of someone like Ashley Barnes. They had plenty of um, plenty of fun at um, Turf Moor against, against the two centre-backs as well. But he sort of dropped off a little bit and played almost as a 10, Evans. And I just thought he was really intelligent with the way he used the ball. He's just solid, isn't he? You can't knock him off the ball. Timing a pass, things like that. And all of a sudden, the ball starts to stick up front and suddenly pressing starts to come up the pitch and pin Rovers back a little bit more. Obviously, they hit the post, which would have been, um, you know, it was quite unlucky, wasn't it, really? It's, a, it's an error from, was it Scott Walton who, who didn't quite clear the ball properly and it falls to Holmes mm. and his strike comes off the inside of the post. That could have easily gone in. And then it was it was just end-to-end -end and Preston came back into it a bit more after the changes. I thought Rovers dropped off a little bit with their subs. I, I, there was a lot of surprise that Dolan came off, I think, in the ground. But Jon sort of said after the game, he'd just, he'd just run his course. Him and Sigurdsson had run themselves into the ground. I just thought they lacked a number nine, particularly in the first half and particularly in the last 20 minutes. Now, obviously, he threw Harry Leonard on for the last 15. But you've got Ennis, you've got Talelovic. And neither of them come off the bench. And it's easy to say in hindsight because we all know what happens at the end of the game. But it's just not a great great optics, is it, for a second home defeat in a row by one goal where neither of your two summer signing strikers have come on the pitch. And I thought the tale of the two benches in the last 20 minutes, not necessarily won Preston the game, but it got them back in the game because until then there was only one winner and that was Rovers. But once the changes were made, it sort of levelled the playing field again. Football can be 
a really simple game at times, Elliot, and we've spoken and lauded JDT's formation and the fluid and chaotic nature. But I think simple football won the day for Preston on this occasion because, you know, we've seen it at Sunday league level. We've seen it, you know, throughout the, the tiers of football over the years. Just having two strikers on the pitch can just make the world a difference. It occupies centre-backs, gets defensive midfielders thinking about what they're doing. It allows the midfielders in behind to do different things that they've been and doing in the game. they have got a back three as well, so it's not like you're conceding space mm. in midfield, for example, if you were to make that change. That's it. So, um, ultimately, I just think it gave Rovers a lot to think about. Um, and do you know what? It was probably the only time or the first time in the game that I felt that Rovers came under any significant pressure because, yes, they went 1-0 up. But actually, I think you can say up to the 60-65 minute mark, I don't think there were periods or spells of pressure for Rovers to defend with the way that Preston were playing. But, you know, what Ryan Lowe did there, as you say, getting Chad Evans on, allowing players to do different things. Osmajic just looked a completely different player from that point. As much as he was making the runs in behind in the first half and looking quick and looking strong, I don't think he was looking a threat. He only really had one. There was one right at the start of the game where he skipped past James Hill a bit too easily and and Holmes had the effort saved in front of the line by Britain. But otherwise, they kept him really quiet, didn't they? But then once Evans Mm. comes on, it just just a bit of nous and a bit of bit of streetwise um, play. It just it just got them back in the game, got them back up the pitch. Totally. And we had the shot against the bowels. You know, that Dwayne Holmes chance, I was right behind that with where I was sat. Um, and I thought it was in. And I think the Preston fans thought it was in as well. It's like they celebrated the goal going in and were like, oh God, it's hit the post. So that was the warning shot. And I don't like to be critical of JDT because I'm enjoying this season and I think he's a breath of fresh air and I think we're doing some wonderful, wonderful things. But I think we had to respond differently to what we did. Harry Leonard's a 20-year-old lad coming on. He's been in and out of the side recently and just bringing him on on his own to try and occupy three big centre-backs for Preston that are streetwise and know what they're doing, as you say. I thought that was a tough call. I think just bringing on Ennis or Tilalovic with him fighting fire with fire, so to speak. Let's get Preston thinking about things. And if it is going to be an end-to-end game, then actually that suits Rovers with the way that we can kind of overturn possession, counter-attack and do the things that we do. So that's a disappointment for me that we didn't respond in the same way that, that Preston did with um, with them bringing on Chad Evans. And I think you're right with, with Chad Evans. It wasn't the fact that he was winning every header or bullying us or, or doing all those things. It's just what it did for the rest of the side to give them the lift and, and get them up the pitch, as you say. Yeah, I completely agree. It wasn't the same as the Chad Evans performance and impact last season, for example, where he was winning every header and knocking centre-backs about. It was more just the the, the the match experience I felt that he added. And I, I crunched a few numbers after the game and excluding the bench, which obviously Evans was on. Preston's average age was 26.2. Rovers was 23.9. And that's quite high for Rovers, really, because you think that's got Travis in it, it's got Wharton in it, rather than Hayden Carter, rather than... Um, rather than um, Harry Pickering, who's a little bit younger as well. So, and then that that's, I, I got a little bit, uh, a few Preston fans commenting on Twitter, as you do, saying that it was clutching at straws. It was just illustrating the point. It is not a, it wouldn't be, a, it's not a criticism or an excuse. I'm just illustrating the point that that is the difference. And I felt it was on the day when you look in the midfield, for example, you've got, yes, Rovers had Tronstad at 28, but you've got players like Brown and Whiteman. Are, they're, they're, so many of that Preston team is like mid to late 20s. Whereas Rovers, you sort of like, you've got, Tronstad at 28, Smodix at 28, and that's that's it really in terms of the, the more elder statesmen. Then you're looking at Wharton and Travis who are mid-20s, which is, you know, they seem experienced because they've, they've had to play a lot of games, but it's not in terms of age. And 
that was sort of the point I was making. And then obviously Rovers went even younger with the bench. Can you imagine if Scott Wharton's red card hadn't been rescinded, we'd have had one of Tom Aitchinson, uh, Pat Gamble or Jake Batty, depending on how you wanted to rework the defence, making their championship debut. So I think that sort of last 20 minutes and the, the tale of two benches summed that one up for me. And of course, they win it with the last kick of the game, practically. Um, it's, it's a second phase set piece, which Rovers have conceded a few from this season, mainly during that run where they lost four in a row. Crossed in by Whiteman, headed in by Lindsay, who's pulled onto the back of Callum Britton. It's good movement from the from the centre half to pull onto the full back, and he heads it in. I don't think they deserve to win Preston. If I'm being completely honest, I think I think it just it was a one-all game. Both teams had a right good go. Both teams had spells in the game where they were on top. It ebbed and flowed, and I think a one-all draw really would have been the fair result. So let's not rewrite history here, um, because a late goal's gone in. But it's also hard to ignore the, the, the numbers that have, have come to light after, which is Rovers have conceded 11 goals in the final 15 minutes of matches this season. That's a lot of points that will cost you. I think they've scored one as well. So you're on a negative 10 goal difference in the line of the last 15 minutes of games. And that comes down to experience, which, you know, there's no point quizzing you on about that because we all know what the situation is. We all know why that's the situation because of the, the issues in the summer. They wanted to sign Danny Bart. They wanted to bring a bit more experience in, but it wasn't possible because of the finances, because of the approach the owners wanted to take or the owners' advisors wanted to take in terms of handing out contracts to players with no resale value. Probably got stung a little bit on the Dan- Daniel Ayala deal. And this is, you know, for all the loveliness of an Adam Ward and a Jake Garrett, a Hayden Carter, this is this is the downside. And this is just where Blackburn Rovers are. So I suppose there's no point going on and on about it, but games like this just sum it up a little bit. Absolutely. And I think you're right to make the correlation between the age of the squad and, and those goals going in. And, and that's how they learn ultimately. You know, in my job, that's how I learn when I make mistakes and do things. It's how every job, it's how everyone learns and, and you learn when you're younger. So we're sadly going to have to go along uh, for the ride, uh, so to speak, with with that when that happens. And do you know what? There's an element of this that because it's Preston, because it's the local derby, because they just seem to have this number on us, you know, over the years, it, it just hurts a little bit more when it happens. But if we take that out of the equation, there's a few reasons why I'm disappointed and then a few reasons why we've just got to be a bit more realistic. So the reasons for disappointment actually boiling this down to a championship game of football, when you look at the stats, when you look at the eye test of how that game went, and actually when you look at the way that Rovers dealt with that real spell of pressure when Holmes hit the post, Chet Evans has come on, Osmajic hit the bar and and had that offside chance, when we looked under real threat and real danger, actually that, that last 10 minutes, I thought we'd rode it out and the game was seemingly petering out. So that's why I'm disappointed why we've ultimately lost the game there. The other reason why I'm disappointed, and this is where these players will learn, and and this is what will come with experience, before that corner and before the second phase play that you were talking about there, we had the opportunity to get rid of it and get it down the pitch and and take the draw if we want to. And I think two things happened. I think Adam Wharton slips, unluckily, in the centre of the park. And then I think there's a loose clearance. I can't quite remember what happened. And the ball ends up going out for that corner. So I think we've ultimately got the chance to avoid that corner happening in the first place. And, and then nearly the scored from memory. They nearly scored that led to that mm. corner. It was a really good clearance by Scott Wharton um, yeah. in front of the goal that, that was nearly 2-1 anyway. Yeah. So we've had the chance to get it away and we haven't. So a bit of luck involved there with the Wharton slip, but maybe a bit of experience as well. And do you know what? Ultimately, um, it's a mismatch at the back post, isn't it? So Liam Lindsay against Callum Britton. Britton's been sensational this season, but largely going in the other direction. So complete mismatch. And that comes with just 
with what's happening at the end of that game. They're loading three big centre-backs up the pitch. We've spoken about the lack of Sam Gallagher. We've spoken about the lack of Hayden Carter. Spoken about the lack of Dom Hyam. These are the situations where that comes to the fore. And part of me feels that if those three had been on the pitch, which usually they are when they're all fit, I don't think Liam Lindsay scores that goal because I don't think it's Callum Britton on Liam Lindsay. I think it's one of the three or four mentioned that I'm talking about that's against one of the centre-backs for Preston. So, again, that's where you'd look, you know, you need your look. That's where the squad's coming to um, kind of kind of to the fore at the moment with the age of the squad and things. So, it's just a really bitter one to take. But I'm realistic. You know, there were many patterns of play in that game where we played really well. We imposed ourselves really well on the game. 60% possession. We saw the Rovers that we know and love. On another day, Sigurdsson's chance in the first half doesn't hit the bar. On another day, that chance where Sigurdsson plays the 1-2 with Dolan, Rovers go 2-1 up. There were patterns of play within that game where uh, Rovers could have ultimately gone ahead in the game and maybe we're talking about a different result. But take Preston out of the equation. This is the championship. It's fine margins. This is why we love this division. This is what it's going to boil down to at the end of the season when all of us are probably separated by 8, 10 points, whatever. So um, it's a tough one to take, but plenty of reasons to be proud of the lads and, and the way they played on Friday night. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good way of summing it up and probably a good segue to move on if we're going to look at the season so far a little bit and take a bit of a zoom out over the international break. So 16 games in, Rovers have got 22 points, the 12th in the table. I think they probably should have a couple more wins on the, on the board there in terms of the performances, but feels about right. Maybe, pro- well, probably if they were sat in 10th, I would say probably feels about right for where where I think they deserve to be performance-wise um, and points-wise. You know, they think that they, they, they should have probably drawn at the weekend. Definitely should have beat Sunderland if they'd gone 3-0 up as they should have before that game. There's been definitely been games where they could have um, got more points. Yondo Thompson keeps saying that only one team's been better than them outright this season. That was Watford, which was the game they won. Um, I'm not sure I quite subscribe to that theory. I think there's been a few games where other teams have deserved to draw or, or certainly beat them. But I do think that they've been, you know, you think Coventry they should have drawn and they could have definitely beat Sunderland, definitely could have got a point against Swansea, created a lot of XG. So they definitely could have, you know, three or four or five more points on the table. Could be a tenth, around 10th tenth league. They're only four points off the playoffs as it is anyway. So it's still really tight. How do you assess the, the first 16 games of the season? I think the table's absolutely fair. I think you've just said four points off the playoffs there and actually 11 points off the relegation zone. This Rovers side feels like a side which is 11 points better than the relegation zone with the way that we're playing, the way that we're set up, the way that JDT's got that chaotic formation that we've uh, spoken about. We are absolutely that far away from the relegation side. We are very close to being a damn good side in this division. Probably a centre forward. You know what I keep saying to people when when I I get a lot of people that ask me, you know, oh, how have Rovers been this season? What do you look? And I I keep telling them, I say, I think between both boxes, I think they're a top top six team. I think in the attacking box, they're a bottom half team. And I think defensively, they're probably a 10th place team. And that levels out somewhere and averages out at about Mm. 10th is is where I think the team is at the moment. Absolutely. So I think it's not lying in the sense of if we're looking down. And then if you look up and and look at the sides that we've lost to and and look at the sides that we've been talking about, you know, Preston in the top six, we've just spoken about that streetwise element. We've just spoken about the experience they've got in their squad. We've just spoken about what Ryan Lowe is able to do within the games. 
Ipswich, another side that have come up and absolutely flying. You know, we went to Portman Road, really imposed ourselves, but they fought fire with fire. You know, we score three, they score four. They're up there for a reason. Leicester, Leeds, Southampton. These are Premier League sides coming down who are able to spend the money. And it's my massive annoyance with football at the moment. I just think it's an absolute joke with the bottom three in the Premier League the way they are and then three of the top four in the Championship the way they are. That's just going to keep getting worse unless something happens with Parachute. I've gone off on a tangent, but if you look at the top six, you know, I think it does feel like Rovers are four points adrift with some of the things that we've spoken about. The late goals, the inexperience in the squad, the lack of a centre-forward signing, the injuries that we've had to contend with, a big one for JRC now. These are things that ultimately, ultimately for me, contribute to Rovers being just off the pace at the moment with that playoff uh, reckoning. So it feels fair to me. I've had some wonderful moments watching Rovers this season. I think JDT has really imprinted his style of play on this side. I think last season, it was a bit like weird at the start of the season with the, the win-lose, the one-nils and, and all of that type of stuff. I think we then started to see flashes of it with things like the Leicester away game in the FA Cup and and other games where you saw the JDT blueprint. Even we now see United, it. although it didn't end, obviously, how we wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We now see it week in, week out. We know what the blueprint is. We know where we can hurt sides. We know how we're going to play out from the back. We know how we're going to do things in attack. These are th- It's there in, in full fruition. And that, invariably, you know, with how the tables panned out, is going to get us more positive results than negative. But it does leave us exposed. Hence why we've lost eight games this season. And there are things for us to work on in that defensive sense with the age and experience of the squad. But plenty of reasons for us to be optimistic. Whether we're going to be able to do anything in January to ultimately close that gap on the top six and and take advantage of a situation, it's probably looking less likely with the situation with Venkis and the cash and the money at the moment. So whether we hover in and around the 12th position for the rest of the season and it's a mid-table season, whether we drop slightly, I'm not sure. Um, but we certainly need some reinforcements if we are thinking about top six. And because of the fact that I'm not optimistic about reinforcements and because of what I'm looking at, four of the top six, very strong this season, I'm not expecting a playoff push. But if I can just see us keep playing in this way, if I can see these young lads keep blooding in, if I can see that JDT blueprint, that's the stuff I'm getting out of bed in the morning for. That's why I'm travelling up to Blackburn and doing the things that I'm doing You know, every fortnight. It's enjoyable to watch and... I don't think many Rovers fans can sit here and say it's not enjoyable to watch. And and we've had some tough gruel in the Championship since we've been relegated from the Premier League. And JDT's got us playing really well. So 12th feels fair. Four points off the playoffs feels fair. And absolutely 11 points off the relegation uh, zone is absolutely fair. Yeah, there's lots on pit there. You're absolutely right. Injuries haven't helped. Obviously, losing Joe Rankin Costello is a massive blow. They de- like in terms of January. I, I've got yeah, I've got a story as we record on, on Wednesday going out at some point today, or maybe first thing tomorrow morning. About asked I asked John before we broke off about January and with the injuries and whether there was any prospect of any reforms. And basically, don't know. Just sort of spoke about the squad being stretched, the squad being younger than last year. Um, it's difficult to know. Obviously, I don't think we'll get the opportunity to speak to Greg before the January window, so it's hard to know exactly what the situation is. Obviously, for those that aren't aware, there was a, a high court ruling this week or last week, as it was, where it's come out, um, where the Venkis have gone to the High Court of India to to push through eleven point five million pounds worth of funding for the club because the club has basically they've gone for the plea of the club's got nothing to do with these 
um, with these allegations, with these charges against uh, VHPL, which is the parent club um, of the company that owns Blackburn Rovers, which is Venkis London Limited. That's all a bit complicated, but basically the charges are against the Venkis, not Rovers. So let's put this money through because we've got contractual obligations to meet. And that was approved. So there's £11.5 million worth of funding coming. Now, that's not £11.5 million to go into the transfer kitty, unfortunately. That money is spoken for. And there was a quite clear breakdown of where that money would go in terms of wages, um, agent fees, taxes, other utility costs. It's accounted for, basically, that money. So if they're having to go to the High Court to push through funds to cover the necessities, I find it hard to believe that there's going to be any wiggle room in terms of certainly permanent signings for for transfer fees, whether they sell someone that might potentially do that, although I don't particularly expect them to sell anyone in January. Um, but maybe loans is going to be the only way that they can do it. They need some reinforcements. They're desperate for a number nine still. I know Smodix has obviously stepped up with the goals last season, but they had Ben Berrett and Diaz doing what Smodix was doing last year, and they still needed a number nine. So for Ennison Tulelovic, they're clearly not, trusted by Jan yet. Talalovic probably more in terms of the level he's at because of where he's come from. Ennis in terms of fitness. And I kind of feel with Ennis we're at the stage where he's not been injured for a while now in terms of like pure time. So how is he going to get that match fitness and get sharper unless he's on the pitch? I kind of feel like he's got the base level maybe. I mean, I'm not a, a, a fitness expert by any means, but He's been back for a month now. He's not had any recurrence of the injuries. He's not playing in the 21s games. He's on the bench, not coming on. How are you going to change that dynamic? Um, because I asked him, obviously, why, why Harry Leonard was out for a month, but he's come back really quickly. And, and Jon basically put, said it was down to pre-season. Um, and, and Harry's got that base level behind him, which means he can recover quicker, even if he's been out for a month, whereas Niall was out for five weeks with that knee injury, six weeks. And... It, we've still not seen him start a championship game. So it's hardly a glowing endorsement for the business they did do in the summer to try and rectify that problem. And we're still going into January if they can do anything and everyone's top of everyone's priority list is still a striker. This is the crucial time period, isn't it, in the season for Enes Antelalovic because this is the last international break before uh, a very busy period over December and, and January. So um, they're clearly still not showing JDT what they can do for whatever reason on the training pitch. I don't know whether that's just pure physical metrics. I don't know if it's when they're wearing the vests on the training pitch. I don't know if it's just the, the quality of football that they're playing. Who knows? JDT only knows the answer to that. But if they are to command a place in this squad, it's got to be within this international break. Um, they've really got to show over this next two weeks that they're hungry, that they want it, and they, that they want to play a part in this busy spell that's coming up. And do you know what? Rovers will need it because Harry Leonard and, and some of the others that we've spoken about aren't going to be able to plough the amount of games that, that they're doing over a very cold and, and busy spell that we've spoken about. Sam Smodic, as brilliant as he's been, we can't keep relying on him in that way. Others have got to contribute and we've got to get the strikers playing. I didn't think so Smodic looked 100% against Norwich. He looked fine against Preston, but I think there's clearly mm -hmm. a couple of niggles. Hopefully the international break will help clear that, but I think he's probably got a couple of niggles just in his body that he could probably do with clearing out as well. And again, that comes from... You know, he started every championship game this season. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's he's got that knack of. Uh, I actually sat there against Preston and thought, mm, is he has he been moving as as freely as he wants? And then I thought against Norwich, I didn't necessarily think against Preston, but I thought against Norwich, even though he scored two goals and played the ninety minutes again, I thought there was times in the first half where, and obviously he came into that game as a fitness doubt. I do think there was times yeah. where he looked like he was carrying a little bit of something, not in terms of his but performance, yeah. but just in terms of the. the oh yeah, you said. 
uh, performance-wise and, and the levels that he's reaching. He's absolutely at the top of his game at the moment, but it does just make you nervous as a fan. Makes you win, how, it? Yeah, it does. How much longer can he do this for? Um, just, you know, that's the strikers just on the, the kind of January and, and what we should do and, and what we should expect as fans. The way this table's panning out and with four of that top six for me already secured in the top six and, and fully expecting them to make it, do we just now already start to think about next season and start to think about FFP? Because we know Rovers need a cash injection. We know that we need to spend some money on some additions. If we could just ride it out for this season, have a bit of a mid-table season, see how high we can finish without the expectation. Is it next summer where we really just put some funds into it and, and have a go in that sense? I don't know. I'm starting to think in that way. I know it's only 16 games, but we can go for gold and we can put some money into it. And, and what does that mean for Rovers down the line if we don't sell an Adam Wharton or we don't do the things to balance the books? I don't know. I've just got some of this nervousness about potentially chasing a bit of a rainbow and a rainbow that might not be there. You know, I, with, I don't with the think ultimately the money's going to be available to chase the rainbow even if they wanted to. I think we are talking there might be loans. I don't, I don't see them selling an asset in January. I don't see a Hayden Carter and Adam Wharton going in January. Now, they're going to have to raise funds FFP-wise, never mind, in terms of wanting to reinvest back into the squad in the summer. I think it could be possible Adam Wharton gets sold next summer, for example, if the, the money's right and depending how the rest of this year goes. But that really is throwing forward. But I don't see anything happening in January in terms of selling an asset at the moment. And it's what they can do maybe in the loan window if they can get some players in, if some maybe some goes out or... You know, maybe Talelovic goes out on loan if he's just not getting a kick and that frees up a bit of wages to bring someone else in on loan from a Premier League club who's not had much game time in the first half of the season. Maybe that's the best route. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the table itself, I agree with you. I think the top four will be the top four in some... Well, I think the top four will be in the top six in some sort yeah. of order. I do think there's two playoff places up for grabs. But there isn't any outstanding teams really that I think yeah, they're definitely front runners. I think it's all much of a muchness. I probably think that Middlesbrough and Sunderland would be my my two that I think are probably most likely to get fifth and sixth for the minute. Preston and Hull are going to be in around there. I don't see Cardiff really being in around there. I think Rovers can be in that conversation. I don't think I think Middlesbrough and Sunderland are probably the best of the rest outside the top four, but I don't think they're that far ahead of Rovers where if Rovers could get someone in in January on loan. Mm. And maybe they get some more luck with the uh, with the injury situation, and they start to hit a bit more consistency in the form, which they did last season. I don't think it's out of the question. Still, it's only four points, and I'm not seeing teams ahead of them that are streets ahead of them. I think there's four teams that I expect to be in the top six, and then I think there are two places up for grabs. West Brom are probably put in that mm. mix as well, but even then, they're they're good defensively under Corbrand. They're a bit stodgy in attack. So I think every other team outside the top four has got drawbacks. I think Middlesbrough and Sunderland and probably West Brom are the strongest three after that. But they're not that strong that I think Rovers can't penetrate that gap. And, and if they can get some luck with injuries, if they could do a little bit in January and then they mm. could get a bit of luck on the, the, the injury front, they, could, they couldn't muster and put something together and maybe sneak in again. Because JDT's, we know we can maximise what he's got ultimately. Yeah. We definitely need the luck and, you know, teams have gone up before with very small squads. I think the, the Bielsa Leeds squad is is one that, that springs to mind and, and Burnley, when they first got promoted, is another. So team and Luton, of course, as well. So teams have gone up with small squads. So we need that luck with injuries, as you say, and we're currently not getting it. 
Dom Hyam, Sam Gallagher, Ryan Hedges, JRC. These are important players to this team. So that does need to change. You're absolutely right. We do have to aim for the top six. And your assessment there of those sides is is valid and, and correct. It's just, do we need to break our principles? Do we need to chase it hard this season with the way that the season's panned out already? That's just the little niggle that that I've got in my mind. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, where should my expectation be as a fan? But the other thing to throw into the equation, just to counter everything that I've said there, we've got to show JDT that we're ambitious and we're matching what he wants to do because I would say that we are now in the point of the season where Rovers are vulnerable because Premier League teams will start to panic. Championship sides at the top of the table or sides that have more money to spend than us or quote-unquote bigger sides than Rovers will start to panic. So I think the more that we get into uh, into the Christmas period, the closer we get to 2024 and certainly once we flip into 2024, I can see JDT getting some approaches from other clubs. And I I'm think not sure we're going to... I agree with you on that, just to play devil's advocate, because I, mm. I think that if you're looking at the Premier League, it's generally going to be teams near the bottom that are going to be twisting. Are they going to take a chance on on JDT if, based on this season, where they're lower in the table than they were last season? I, I don't know. It would take a very forward-thinking club that's clearly twisting because they're in a bit of relegation bother in the Premier mm. League to then plump for JDT mid-season. Equally, who in the Championship... You know, you're thinking the free parachute payments, they're all near the top of the table. Unless mm. Southampton go on a horrendous run, I don't really see any of them making the switch. So I, I think it's more like, I completely agree with your point about the ambition. and I think, But I think that's more of an issue for the summer rather than summer, I think yeah. it's an issue mid-season because of, I just don't know if there's any Premier League clubs brave enough that would, would plump for JDT when they're probably needing to make that change because they're in a bit of trouble relegation-wise. It's the type of therapy I exactly needed to hear, Elliot, because it is my nervousness. You know, we've spoken about money, injuries and everything. My main nervousness as a fan is losing JDT because I am just so bought into the I agree the with that, that point for the summer, though, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right with what you've said there, actually breaking it down and just thinking about that a little bit deeper. Yeah, who are the sides that are going to be it? But I think that threat ultimately exists. And I think JDT, certainly towards the end of last season, for me, cut a very frustrated figure with the way that things have planned out, uh, panned out and maybe some of the promises that he had had that hadn't been delivered. So that niggle is always in the back of my mind. And I think we've spoke, I, I just mentioned some clubs there, Burnley and Luton in particular. For sides like Rovers, with the current situation we find ourselves in, for us to get promoted, you have to be greater than the sum of your parts. And for me, JDT is the man that is making us greater than the sum of our parts I agree at the moment. Entirely. So that's why I'm that's why I'm nervous as a fan, because I think he is so integral for us if we are to make the top six or indeed get promoted. He's integral. He is the one that can use that academy in the right way, blood them in, and play that really attractive, positive, chaotic style of football. It's like a match made in heaven at the moment. And that's why I was getting anxious and nervous with uh, with why I was just raising that, because that would make me so sad if he was to go as a result of a lack of ambition from Rovers. But I think you've given me some good therapy that maybe he will be here till the end of the season. I think in terms of you in terms of your um in terms of England, that's how I think of it. That could be different for Europe. But whenever you speak to Jan, he wants to be in England. I think he wants to be, go to the Premier League. I don't think that now, of course, if like an Ajax or a Feyenoord or a, ma a massive team in Holland or, you know, a really good, you know, a, a decent La Liga team or something like that comes in, I'm sure he'd be tempted. But I do think the ambition for him is to work his way in, in England. That is what he talks about. He talks about the infrastructure of England, you know, going to grounds, 
like Ellen Road in the Championship that's got 35,000 fans going to you know Hillsborough where you've got that sort of support. You don't get that in other countries at all. Now, if one of mm. the bigger boys, like for example, an Ajax came calling, then that's a, a different kettle of fish because the, the scale of the club, albeit the league's not as good, um, is, is enormous. But in terms of England, I don't see anything mid, mid-season personally. Now, I certainly don't have a crystal ball and I've certainly been wrong on these things before. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here doing this podcast with you. I'd be a very rich man. But <laughs> that, that is just the, the, the vibe I get from Jon in terms of England specifically and then looking at the landscape and wondering what, what, what could crop up that, that might cause Rovers an issue in that front. But in terms of the summer, he'll have one year left on his deal and that's when I think if they have a good season, if they finish 10th to, 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 to 5th, I think there'll be people looking again at the style of player development and there's a lot to be to be interested in. One more thing I want to talk about before we wrap up the podcast. Um, the home form has been quite weird in the fact that obviously it was it was so mm. good last season. It was the the backbone of their um of their promotion push of the playoff tilt. They there were only three teams in the championship that got more points. That was Burnley, Sheffield United, and Middlesbrough at home than Rovers. And then this season there's only three teams. Um QPR, Sheffield Wednesday and Millwall who have got less points than Rovers at home. So they've only won three of their first eight. But then away from home, they picked up 13 points, four wins and a draw out of eight. And they only picked up 26 points in the entirety of last season away from home. So they've they've got half the total away from home already. But at home, it's just not quite clicking in. I don't know whether that's partly down to some of the opposition they played when you think of facing um, Leicester, for example. Um, they've had a little bit of bad luck in terms of the Sunderland game they lost, which they definitely should have won if they took some of the chances at nil-nil. You think of the um, the Hull game where they're down to 10 men for 75 minutes. That's definitely a game where they, they could have won had they had 11 men on the pitch. And these are all if buts and maybe. So I don't know whether it's a bit of a small sample size and a bit of bad bad luck when you apply the context or whether there's something a bit more in teams... I've not seen that many teams come to Ewood and just sit back though and Rovers struggle to break them down like we saw at the back of last season. So thinking about it a bit deeper, I'm probably inclined to think it's maybe a small sample size and it'll, it'll improve over the course of, of the season. But it's interesting how that, that points uh, difference has, has skewed this season. It's very interesting. Um, I think there's a few things to, to bring into this. I think just one thing I will say, we've, we just reflected on the table and, and where Rovers find themselves, four points off the playoffs, you know, that very simply you could say is down to the home form and, and the lack of wins that Good. we're getting there. So um so you know to sort out the away form in the way that we have and, and then not get the home victories is is disappointing in that sense. I think there's a few things to bring into it. I think the quality of the opposition we absolutely have to bring into the fold. You know, the sides that we have lost to this season, Sunderland top six, Leicester top six, Preston top six, Hull just outside the top six. Uh, and then Swansea just, you know, you have them in the championship. So I think your small sample size and the thing that you said there is valid. I think we've played a good quality of opposition. I think the other thing that's come into the fore is is that style of play that we've spoken about. So uh, the style that we are playing with this season, I think invariably lends itself to away from home because at home, teams have an onus to be the ones who are imposing themselves and breaking sides down and all of that. But John is just going to these away grounds and saying, right, we're going to play our way, which mm-hmm. is why we've seen some of the stuff that we have this season. Great away at QPR, great away at um, 
Norwich. Uh, Norwich. Norwich was the one I was thinking. And actually, I thought we started the game at Rotherham pretty well, and then obviously all hell just broke loose. Yeah, that was until the penalty missed. They were the best team. Yeah. Right? So we go to away sides now and impose ourselves, which for me personally as a fan is is brilliant to see because I've said before on this podcast, just going to some of those away grounds and not seeing a shot on target has been a tough watch at times. I think at home, um, where sides may come to Ewood, sit back a bit, there's an onus on us to break. I, I, tactically, I probably need to do a bit more thought into what's going on at home. But I think what you can say about the Rovers' home victories, uh, the home losses, sorry, I'm not looking at any of those and thinking that we haven't had chances, we haven't imposed ourselves, we haven't had spells in that game where we've been dominant. I think Swansea's probably the worst that it got. Actually, if I'm looking at the losses, Hull at home, I think we absolutely, particularly at one all in that game, I think there was a chance for Gallagher and a chance for Ennis. We could have easily made that game 2-1. I think we had a go at Leicester and ultimately their quality um, came to the fore in that game. The Sunderland game you, you just mentioned there in terms of how differently that could have gone. And then the Preston game we've just reflected on. So I don't think it's games where we're necessarily playing bad at home. I think it's fine margins that are coming to the fore when it's championship teams coming, good championship teams coming. And the way that we play, we do leave ourselves exposed at times and we are going for sides. So I think as the games pan out more, I think I'd be more worried if I'm looking at this list. If I just go down now, Birmingham at home, Rotherham at home, um, I'm just going to click through Huddersfield at home, QPR at home, Stoke at home, Norwich at home. That if bottom we eight, really. we've not really played any of that bottom eight at home. Exactly. If we weren't getting wins in those games, then I would be worried. And actually, maybe the table would start telling us something, actually, if we weren't in those. So I think not a massive cause for concern at this stage with the quality of the opposition that we've had. Probably some of the tactic, uh, the, the blueprint and the way that we're playing this season come into the fore but just something to watch going into the latter part of the season because you're right, it is the backbone of a season. And I think if we sort out the home form, that gap to the top six possibly closes. Yeah, completely agree. I think that's a good place to round up now. Uh, thank you for listening as always. Make sure you subscribe to the Arte Labore pod, uh, podcast in your app of choice and make sure you follow the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers on X and check out the site for the most comprehensive coverage of Blackburn Rovers this season. You can support... And subscribe to the Lancashire Telegraph um, for a better reading experience with fewer ads. There's plenty of subscriber-only content that goes up as well and plenty more perks. Uh, you can go to the lancashiretelegraph.co.uk forward slash subscribe and the current offer is £3 for three months or £31 for an annual subscription for your first year. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again after the international break for another episode of Arte Labore. 